thank you because we know that you are here. We thank you because we know that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are here. Holy Spirit, we ask, oh God, that you would help us in the name of Jesus. We ask, so oh God, that our eyes of understanding is enlightened in the name of Jesus. We ask, oh Lord, that through your word today, our lives will be transformed. We will never remain the same. Our minds will be renewed. There will be like an opening and veils will be um, removed. Our eyes will be able to see all that you want us to see tonight in the name of Jesus. We ask, oh Lord, for um, Victor, our pastor, that you will give him all chance in the name of Jesus. And for all those hasting their footsteps and bring them here in Jesus' name. So we ask that at the end of um, today's Bible study, we have a cause to glorify your name in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, so um, I'll just quickly start off by um, just discussing in a few seconds um, what we learned at the last Bible study just to refresh our minds and also encourage those that were not here so that they can go back to the podcast. We have a podcast so you can go back to listen to it. So, um, your mixer, yeah, mixer. So, please, you can just drop a message on the chat box what you learned, one thing that stood out for you at the last um, Bible study. One thing that stood out for you for the last Bible study. So we have Tosin, Idara, and Chris on Mixera. So please, expecting your responses. I just drop it on the chat box. One thing that stood out for you, that you learned at the last week Bible study that you just want to share with us. I encourage someone so the person can go back to podcast and listen. Are we typing? I'm not seeing anybody chat. I'm never refreshing. Idara, Tosin. No, I was going to say they might be typing. Um, like very strong grammar. So <laughs> you might want to just give them some minutes, some seconds. Yeah, I forgot that we actually mix our lags a bit, so yeah. Yeah. Um, also, if you're on MixLR, just confirm as well that you can hear us. Um, if you're MixLR, you can confirm while dropping your um, comments, your learning points.
Hi everyone. So I I can't do the typing now. I just came to Zoom to answer Faito. <laughs> Thank you. So I hope you can hear me. I'm going I back to great. So basically, um like the basically what I put the other time, must put on the whole armor of God. Um um we can't just you know uh, be half half armed. I hope that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, every exposed part of your armor um you know makes you vulnerable to the enemy. So you just have to put everything on. And Victor mentioned that if, as we go on, you know, would understand what each armor does. So yeah, basically that's what that's what I, I learned. That was one part that stopped me. Thank you. I'm going back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Igaya, for sharing with us. All right. Thank you. So, in the absence of no other comments, um, we will just um, go ahead with today's teaching. Over to you, Pastor Victor. All right, thank you so much, Faith. Um, thank you, everyone. Thanks, Mida, um, for sharing. I'm sure we had, we still have, like a lot of people have learned. So um, while, but while the teaching goes on, you can drop what you learned from the last Bible study. So I know that last week we, um, last week was a prayer session. So um, there might not be learning points in terms of like what we learned academically or what we discussed but feel free to drop in what you learned from two weeks ago. And if anything else crossed your mind over the past few weeks, um, by all means, feel free to, to drop that as well. Okay, so we're going right into today's study. And um, if you're on Zoom, you, can, you should be able to see my screen. And we are looking at, uh, we are looking at the Armor of God part two with a focus on the belt of truth, all right? So with a focus on the belt of truth. Um, let's start with our opening scripture, Ephesians chapter, our anchor scripture, sorry, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 to verse 18. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 to 18. Um, as I would like to ask, please, if, you can, if you're on Zoom, um, kindly confirm that you can hear me clearly. So I know we are together in today's journey. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. All right, so I go ahead to read. Father, again, we thank you for understanding and we're grateful for today's, um, today's opportunity to share your word. We receive insight by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, so Paul was writing to people he considered his brethren. Um, just a minute, I just realized that my video isn't on. Um, where is it? Video? Come on, okay, good. All right. <clears throat> so Paul was writing to people that he considers to be brethren. And it's almost like, um, you know, you are writing a letter to your family member and you're writing what's important to what's important because you don't want them to miss out of, of this um, you know, valuable piece of information. So he says, 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How do you do that? He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So two weeks ago, when we started this um, series, I explained why the Bible refers, why, why our armor is tailored against the wiles of the devil. And the, the, the word there, wiles, right, means strategies or schemes or um, methods. We are using other translation um, than the King James, right? So the, what the Bible is saying is that our armor is predominantly against the strategies of the enemy. And I said to us two weeks ago that the, this already suggests that the greatest attacks of the enemy would come in form of deception. And this is why our, our armor needs to be complete because deception can come in various ways. There's a deception that is targeted at your heart and that's why we need the breastplate of righteousness. There's a deception that is targeted against, um, against your head, right? That's why we need the helmet of salvation. There's a breastplate, uh, sorry, there's a deception that is targeted, you know, around your body and you need the shield of faith and it goes on and on. But the point here is that the enemy's attack attacks would typically come in form of deceptions. And if you are not armed with the armor of God, you will not know how to extinguish, you know, the deception that the enemy brings at you. So verse 12 says, uh, we're reading Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13 says, wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God. So not just a part of it, not just the part that looks fancy, but every single part of it, not just the part that um, is you know, it's obvious or looks like a very good outfit to wear, but every single part of the armor, it says, take the whole armor that you may be able to withstand the evil, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And two weeks ago, I explained the concept of standing for a believer, and I, I explained how that there are three postures we adopt as believers. We sit, we walk, and we stand in that order, and then I explained that further. So please, if you haven't listened to it, um, check our podcast, right, uh, for the beginning of this series. This was two weeks ago. Now, verse, verse, where are we? We are in verse 14, all right? So it says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16 says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18 finally says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. Hallelujah. Okay, so our emphasis here is verse, um, verse 14 says, therefore, stand therefore having your loins girt about. So meaning having your loins or your waist um, buckled, as some translation puts it, with the belt of truth. And we want to start investigating the armor one after the other. And we want to see what, the, what these mean and how they apply in our lives, all right? So 
My first question to us right now is, what does the belt of truth mean? Right, and I really want us to discuss. So what, what does the belt of truth mean? And then what is its purpose in our lives? Okay, so the question here is, what does the belt of truth mean? And what is its purpose? So I would love to hear, I mean, what we think before we proceed in today's study. Um, what does the belt of truth mean? And, you know, what is, what really it is, is its purpose? So I am open to hearing from us. If you're on um, Mixeller or on Zoom, please feel free to share. If you're on Mixeller, you can drop your comments. And then if you are on Zoom, just feel free to unmute, unmute your mic and speak. What does um, the belt of truth mean? And what is its importance to us? Anyone wants to give it a try? What does the belt of truth mean? Nobody on Mixlr. Nobody yet on Zoom. So yeah, I understand that there's a lag for Mixlr. So I'm just going to wait few more seconds um, just to give a, just account rather for that lag and um, you know also the typing and dropping responses. But yeah, if you're on, on Zoom, please feel free to unmute yourself and speak. What does the belt of truth mean? Um, does it refer to, to, I mean, is it a fancy equipment? If, if it is, what's, what's the meaning of that? You know, um, I remember when I was growing up as a teenager, in high school, that was when this <laughs> yeah guy probably will relate. Will relate. There's this belt that came out that had a spinner at the head of it, and we just wore the belt and spin it as we walked. So is that what the belt of truth means, or is it like that? You know, let me hear what you guys think. Hi, people. All right, hi. Let me just try and see from the practical perspective, because I assume that when Paul was writing this, he had in mind um, like the soldiers of those days and the kind of outfits they would wear and all of that. So normally guys would wear belts or ladies will wear their belts to, to hold their trousers so that they are firm. And then the fact that it is called a belt of truth and knowing fully well that um, the word of God is, is true and God's word is true basically and holds us firmly. And like it's when, when the Bible says that um, the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you onto all truth, talking about direction and all of that. So I, I'm just going to say literally that the belt is supposed to help you stand firm in the word of God. <laughs> That's the literal meaning I'm going to give to it. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you very much, Faith. Fantastic. So the belt um, of truth holds you firm, right? Um, so we can take that as your summary. The belt of truth holds you firm. Okay. Thank you very much. On um, Mixlr, um, Chris Agape says, I think a belt reflects constraints. 
something that holds. So truth should constrain and guide us and hold everything else together. So generally, we don't engage in anything that's a lie. That's a lie. That's the devil's territory. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris, for your um, for sharing this. So um, based on what both of you have said, right, the belt constrains us, the belt, the belt holds us together. All right, that's awesome. Um, and thank you again for, for the feedback from you guys. So let us see, before we look at what belt of truth means, or in addition to um, what you guys have said, let us read John chapter 17, verse 17, because it shows us scripturally um, what that belt means. John chapter 17 and verse 17. So faith already alluded to these, but let's look at it from scripture. So it is, um, so it's not, we, we have a basis for it. So John chapter 17, verse 17, or I read from verse 15, actually. Jesus Christ was say, speaking here. He says, I pray not, and he was praying to the father. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Verse 16 says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 17 then says, sanctify them through thy truth. He now says, thy word is truth. So this scripture clearly shows us that the word of God is truth. All right. So when we talk about the belt of truth, or we are referring to the belt of the word, okay, or referring to the word of God in essence. So what does this mean for us as believers? Okay, actually, I dropped in here a picture of, I, I found this online. Um, I dropped in here a picture of the armor of God just to have, just for us to have a mental image of what we're talking about. So of course, when Paul wrote this, um, when Paul wrote this, there were not, this was like several, several, several years ago, thousands of years ago. And so um, when, when you think of a soldier, you wouldn't think of a soldier holding an AK-47 and wearing camouflage and all of that. You would think of a soldier rather with a sword, breastplate, a breastplate, um, belt and, you know, shield and all of that. Um, if you watch any of these Roman, um, olden, Roman olden days movie, right? It's give you an, a, a pictorial view of, of what we're talking about. Anyways, I chipped in the image here um, for those of us on MixLR to have a look at. If you're on Zoom, I'm afraid you might not be able to see this, but um, definitely I can make the slides available. All right, so what? why the belt of truth, really? So just a few points in addition to what we've said. Number one is that the belt provides protection for the sensitive lower regions and also serves as a host for other carryable parts of the armor, especially the sheath for the sword. All right, so by design, and I have to go, let me go back again to the image. So by design, right, the belt of truth has, based on the way the Roman soldiers wore, um, Roman soldiers designed their belt, the belt had a, um, what's it called now, like a metallic dropping part right in front, front of the soldier's groins. And the purpose of that was to protect that region from, you know, impact uh, because it was it's sensitive. And secondly, right, the belt also provides a host for the other carryable parts of the soldier's armor, especially the sheath for the sword. So the sheath is where the sword fits into, is where the sword um, is, well, there's another word for it, scabbard, yes, for the sword, 
right, where the sword fits into, and that is that part that the sword fits into is hosted on the on the um, on the belt. Now, before I, co I continue, let me let me share my little experience. So I went to a military school, right, for my secondary education. So I went to what, what we call high school was like a proper military school. And so just based on my memory and, you know, staying in a military environment and dressing up and, you know, doing stuff like them, I can tell you for, from experience, right, that the belts, when you're going for a, so again, we used to have what we called, what we used to call, what we called then bush camp. And the whole idea of bush camp was to simulate a war environment. And just think about this, we're teenagers then, and even think about it now, it's surreal. So, um, we were so the whole idea of that was to simulate a war experience, right? And then train us how to respond in certain situations and all of that. However, what I'm going to is that when you dress up for combat, right? First of all, there's a belt you wear just to hold your trousers and put it intact, put it, um, keep it intact. But then the, there's also another belt you wear that is not necessarily for keeping your trousers intact, right? but rather is to host the other things that you are carrying with you. We call it a combat belt. Um, that if, if, I'm, if my memory serves me correct, that's what it's called, a combat belt. And on that belt, you have your, you have your sheath for, is it called a sheath now? Where, where the where soldiers put in their pistol, right? You, no, we didn't have pistol then, but it, the belts could accommodate that. Um, it, had, it, it could also accommodate your bottle of water on the go, like just a small bottle of water where you can easily drink water and you know store water as you go on. Also, that belt could accommodate your, uh, it could accommodate a small pouch for other things. If you needed like edibles or needed to carry other important things with you, it could accommodate that. Also, if you needed to carry an extra magazine for your rifle, it could accommodate that. So just having that in mind shows that the belt does a lot more than just hold your cloth together. You get that. And now, of course, during the when Paul wrote this, um, wrote this letter, the, I'm, I'm sure it was as sophisticated as this, right? But then it could host like your sword and any other thing that you needed to carry with you. But the idea here is that the belt keeps, like you guys, uh, um, Faith and Chris have said, the belt keeps, you know, the um, keeps the keeps the trouser or, or whatever the soldier is wearing fitted together, that's one. Secondly, it also houses the other parts, other um, carryable parts of the armor. And this is very representative of the believer's life because everything we do hinges on the word of God. So remember, we've agreed from scripture now that the belt of truth here refers to the word of God. And what that means for us is that every other part of our weapon right, hinges on the support structure of the word of God. And the word of God is the foundational um, aspect of everything we will do, okay? Something else I forgot to mention initially is that it is surprising out of all the possible armors, uh, out of all, all the possible pieces of armor, rather, that the first thing Paul mentions is the belt of truth. Where, whereas if you're putting on your military armor, the belt is not usually the first thing you wear, right? It's most likely going to be the last piece of, um, of equipment you put on, right? Um, but Paul didn't start from, from, the, from the helmet or from the shoes or from the breastplate or any other thing. He started from the belt of truth. And I believe this is significant of the fact that 
the truth of God's word is super, super important to our experience as believers and also to our, and more so to our um, experience in, in a battle situation as believers, okay? So the belt of truth hosts every other thing. And I want to spotlight the, um, the sword, okay? I want to spotlight that because, of, um, because I want to differentiate something to us and, you know, show the importance of these two things. So I, we said here that the belt of truth, right, the belt houses the sheath where the sword is being placed. And just like we read, the Bible calls it, refers to the sword of the spirit as the word of God. So if we're calling the belt the word of God, then how come the sword is also referred to as the word of God? I wish we had time to take answers, really. But let me, let me save you, I mean, think about it some more, but let me just save you the time. Um, so we have the belt of truth and then we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the belt of truth is also the word of God. So the question now is, what is the difference? And this is the difference, all right? The belt of truth here refers to the logos, meaning the entirety of God's word, the summation of scripture, that is the logos, meaning that everything written, written in, in scripture, all right? we ought to be acquainted with is that is that is the logos of god's word that the scripture represents the logic the thinking pattern of god and that is what the belt of truth represents in this context the belt of truth represents the summation of scripture for us and this is this is understandable when you think of the fact that the belt houses other parts of the armor and keeps the believer fitted together so you know that you need the word of god to stay together to also accommodate other parts of of um, other parts of the armor, all right, to house house those parts and keep those parts intact together. So that is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the general scripture we refer to as logos, all right, or the summation of God's thoughts, the summation of God's ideas, the way He thinks, His logic towards towards um, us and towards life and every other thing. That is the logos, and that is what the belt of truth represents. But when you now go to the sword of the spirit, right? The sword, the Bible says that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you do a linguistic diagnosis on that, on that scripture, you will see that the Greek translation um, for word of God was translated as, or is translated as rhema, meaning that the sword of the spirit is the rhema of God. The sword of the spirit, right, is the rhema of God. So, and, and what rhema simply means, well, we'll still discuss this, this in detail when we get to the sword of spirit, but let me just give us like heads up so we can understand my explanation. Um, the rhema of God means a portion of scripture that God voices out to you, all right, that he speaks to you expressly, and he can speak in different ways, right, whether through dreams, through, you know, impressions in your heart, whatever way he speaks to you, but then he speaks to you he speaks that portion of scripture to you specifically and typically for a specific purpose or for a specific season of your life. So for instance, if someone, um, let's say, is writing an academic exam and he goes to God to pray and to receive God's word for the success of that exam, and then God speaks a word to him, for instance, that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, even though that, um, that portion of scripture is found in the entire scripture, right? That verse is found in the entire scripture. However, God speaks from that particular verse to that person at that particular moment. That is what is referred to as rhema. 
And that is what the Bible refers to as the sword of the spirit. So the sword of the spirit is the rhema of God. And this makes so much sense when you think of the fact that the sword is placed on, the, the sword is hosted on the um, belt of truth, meaning that the rhema is hosted on the logos of God's word. What that means is that rhema can never exist in isolation of the written word. And this is super important to take note of. That and, and this is why the foundation of everything is the written word of God. The written word of God, the scriptures we have from God, right? What we call the Bible right now is the foundation of every single thing God will do with you. Is the foundation of God's of God's dealings with you. You understand that the foundation of, of God's spoken word is, is Rema. All right. And so we must um we must not forget that. Okay. Sorry, let's take that back. And we must not forget that. Just give me a minute. All right. Um, so I wanted to just give that explanation for us to, so we understand, understand the belt of truth, right? And differentiate, be, and be able to differentiate that from the sword of the spirit. So the belt of truth refers to the word of God, yes. But when we say the word of God, we're referring to the logos of God, the entirety of scripture, and then when, so that when, when you see the sword of the spirit, right, it, then you understand that the sword of the spirit refers to the rhema of God. And we're going to deal with that um, in details when we get to that part of it. Okay, so that's the first thing I wanted us to point out about the um, sword, sorry, about the belts of truth. Okay, second thing I said here, and just like um, we've said already, Chris and Faith already mentioned this, that the belt secured the soldier's garment and other pieces of the armor together, else the soldier could be hurt by his own weapon. So we you know we've mentioned that the belt keeps the belt holds the soldier in place, you know, and keeps the other part of the armor fitted. And this is what I want to also say. Um, let me go back to the to the image we have here. All right. So on the image here, let me describe this again for people of Mixellar to so they can get get what we're, we're looking at. So the Roman soldiers typically had like a flowing, a long, a gown, what we call a dress, you know, um, in this, this, in this generation, what would have, what we call a dress, the Roman soldiers typically wore that sort of dress, just a long, um, a long gown, you know, then they didn't, they didn't wear trousers and, and all of that, um, because they would needed freedom for movement, you know, as military people, and that was their own civilization as a then. So the Roman soldier wore what, what looks like a dress right now, and then, on top of that dress, he now he he then wore all the other parts of the armor, okay, including the belt. Now, what we are saying here is that the belt secures the soldier's garments and all the other pieces of the armor together, right? So if the soldier didn't wear a belt, the garment will be flying, you know, helter skelter, depending on how free it is, and that could that could be detrimental to the soldier's um, maneuverability in the battlefield. So the belt kept kept that piece of clothing together, as well as the other pieces of armor. And why this was also significant was that if the belt didn't keep the other piece of armor together, the very thing that the soldier has on himself as an armor could, could be detrimental to the soldier, all right? So the soldier could be hurt by his own armor. Take, for instance, the sword, right? If the soldier, if the belt didn't house the sword and keep the sword intact, Imagine if the sword was probably hung on the neck or just held carelessly or hung carelessly on the body. It is very likely that in the heat of the battle, the soldier may be, may be hurt by his own sword. 
And what this means for us as believers is that the word of God gives us the foundational and accurate context for the operations of every other part of the weapon. You know, have you ever heard people say some kind of prayer that you know that even though they are calling the name of Jesus, this prayer is not scriptural at all. People say, and, and, and you know, this is without recourse to any, any um, group of Christianity or not, or anything like that, but people may make some kind of, you know, what we call dangerous prayer, what, is, what they call dangerous prayers. And when you investigate the prayer, the prayer doesn't, is not rooted on the word of God. The truth is that some spiritual activities right, can end up being detrimental to the believer if it is not founded or hosted on the word of God. And let me even sound this as a, as a caution to all of us, that the activities, see, the spirit realm is very vast. The re, one of the reasons why God gives us the word of God is that the word of God gives us a legitimate context to operate in the realm of the spirit. And that is why also you cannot do that without the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost is the guide to experiencing that word. But focusing on the word of God, the word of God gives us the legitimate context for engaging in the realm of the spirit. It is possible for someone to engage in the realm of the spirit without a legitimate um, context. And that it will be tantamount to witchcraft or divination or any of those um, extra, extra spiritual activities, all right? So without the word of God, if a believer, for instance, says, I want to fast, and if the believer is very zealous and goes on, you know, some dry fasting, that fasting, of course, will expose the believer's spirit to the realm of the spirit. But what you may contact from that activity may not be from the spirit of God. It may be from another demonic spirit. But And so simply because the believer is engaging in a spiritual activity, it does not guarantee that he will encounter God. What guarantees you encounter God is that you do it on the foundation of the word of God. And this is super, super important. In fact, if anybody be becomes, a, becomes born again, the number one thing the person must be exposed to is the written word of God. Is the word of God, the scripture, the Bible like this, is the first thing the person must be exposed to. Don't be exposed to, don't be exposed to, Hmm. Don't be exposed to financial prosperity before you are exposed to the word of God. Don't be exposed to um, believers or, or don't be exposed to spiritual authority or power without being exposed to the word of God. Because if you are exposed to any other thing before the word of God, even though it is a legitimate weapon for the believer, that weapon may be the very reason why this, the believer is hurt himself. Okay? And this is why the word of God is important. And I believe this is why this was the first thing that um, Paul mentioned among the armor, the belt of truth. It is what keeps the believer intact and provides, provides the accurate context for the operations of every other weapon, all right, um, for, for the soldier, okay? So I hope that was clear enough. All right, next point on the belt of truth is that I, I said here that the belt is the only piece of armor that circles around the soldier's body. All right, so the belt is the only piece of armor that circles around the soldier's body. In fact, if you look at everything listed under this armor, you find out that everything is front-facing, all right? Um, the shield, most, I mean, most, most things are front-facing. The shield, um, what's it called, sorry, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, front-facing. But the belt of truth 
is what circles around the believer's body. And this is significant. I said um, here in the slide that this signifies that the word of God has an all-round effect in the believer's life, including warfare, and therefore cannot be ignored. You know, before we proceed, let me just say emphatically here that as a believer, you must be acquainted with the word of God. Know what the Bible says. Think in terms of the Bible. See, you know, the Bible says that in um, talking about when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said how you've known the scriptures right from your youth. Um, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise. There is a wisdom, spiritual wisdom that just know reading the word of God impacts onto you. I'm not saying, see, someone might not be so gifted spiritually. Someone might not even be so anointed in, in terms of anointing like that. But if the person knows the word of God, the person will be solid and will stand firm. So my encouragement to us before we proceed is that know the word of God, make up your mind to know the Bible. There are so many things, and we're going to look at this later on, but let me just bring this up. There are so many things that you are going through that the word of God already addresses. And that's why when you read the book of Psalms, you can see you, there's almost no, no, no face of your life, right, that the book of Psalms does not address. There's almost no word God will speak to you that will not come from, from either Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There is nothing you want to actually address that the Bible doesn't already address, but there's just a wisdom that, that the word of God imparts onto you. So please, this year, be a student of the word of God. Don't just read the New Testament alone. Read the Old Testament. Learn the lessons. There are so many governmental procedures you will learn from reading the book of First Kings and Second Kings. There's wisdom, wisdom even for your office work. And I'm just laughing because I remember when I read, um, you know, First Kings. Anyways, there's just so much wisdom, even for your office work or, and relating with people that you will get just by reading scripture. So please let scripture be your friend this year. All right. Okay. So that, those are just three things I wanted to bring out from the belt of, um, belt of truth. And um, I want us to go, let us dive deeper. Let's go further a bit. Okay. So to go further a bit, let's return back to a scripture we read earlier. And this is found in John chapter 17, verse 15 to verse 17. John chapter 17, verses 15 to verse 17. If you are on um, Zoom, please read for us if you are there. If you're on Zoom, feel free to read for us if you are there. John chapter 17, verse 14 to verse 17. John 17, 14. I have given them your message, and that is why the unbelieving world hates them, for their allegiance is no longer to this world, because I am not of this world. Mm -hmm. 15. I am not asking that you remove them from the world, but I ask that you guard their hearts from evil, for they no longer belong to the world anymore than I do. To 17. 17, yes, please. Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Um, I want to point out some things from this scripture, all right? Starting from verse, so Jesus Christ here was praying for his disciples to give us a context to the prayers. And in his prayer, he got to a point where he began to say, Father, I'm not praying that you take them away from this world, 
but that you keep them from the evil in this world. And then he went on to explain in verse 17 that they are not of this world. What that means is that they no longer belong to this world. So as long as it concerns the operations of this world, the systems of this world, the thinking patterns of this world, the priorities and, and all of that, they don't belong to this world. However, they are in this world, all right? You know, it's almost like when you, you travel to a different country, you don't belong to the country, or you are not a citizen of the country, However, you are there for a period, okay? Um, you are there for, um, let's say, on vacation or you're there for work purposes. That is what Jesus Christ was saying, that they don't, even though they are in this environment, I'm not saying you should take them out of the environment, but that you should preserve them from the, whatever is going on in this environment. And this also, I mean, this is just a minor um, deviation, but, you know, there's the extreme of Christianity that teaches isolation, right? Um, isolation means don't, don't do business, don't, don't, don't work in a secular organization, don't do anything that is not Christian, you know, in quotes, that's not flat out Christian, don't do it. And that is not true because that's not what Jesus Christ taught. What Jesus Christ showed us from here is that we can be in this world, we can operate in, in systems that are secular and that are not necessarily born of God. However, we can be insulated not isolated from the operations of this world. You know how they, they used to say then that um, heavenly, heavenly, what's it called now? Heavenly focused, but earthly, earthly irrelevant. So you know how believers that are, all they want to, they're just waiting for when they get to heaven and when, when the last trumpet will sound. And they are so fixated on that, that they don't make any impact here on earth. All right. And so I'm saying that's not how we should live. That's not how, that's not what Jesus Christ, you know, teaches us to do. But anyway, so Jesus Christ here says, they are no longer of this world, okay? And verse 17, which is my emphasis, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What this suggests to us is that there's one primary thing that the word of God does to us is that it sanctifies us. It's, and when we talk of sanctification, okay? I said here on the next slide that the word sanctify here doesn't first refer to the purity of moral conduct. So you know when someone comes and says, no, no, I'm sanctified unto God. The, the, the unconscious um, interpretation we have is that this person is holy. The person lives a holy life, doesn't steal, doesn't lie, doesn't cheat, you know, and all of that. And basically we point to his moral conduct when we hear the word sanctification. But I'm saying that that's not the first inference of, of sanctification. Sanctification first refers to being set apart or being separated unto God. And it is because of this separation unto God that your moral conduct begins to change, okay? And I've, I've, I've given this illustration um, before when we, when we discuss around um, sanctification. Well, let me give it again. How many of you, when you grew up, if you, if you are in Nigeria, and this might be very common in your house, but I mean, other countries as well might have that experience. When growing up, your father, especially your father, your father had a dedicated plate, a dedicated spoon, dedicated um, cup, dedicated set of cutlery and eating utensils that was solely for him. You could not use daddy's plates to eat. It is only daddy that uses daddy's plates to eat. If a visitor comes, you cannot serve the visitor with daddy's plates. It is only daddy that uses daddy's plates to eat. Now that plate, may be the same, may be made of ceramic, just like the others, but because it has been set aside for daddy's use, 
that plate is sanctified and it is not inherently pure of itself but because it has been set aside it cannot be mixed with other with the usage of other plates and it, because of that it is now pure you get that so the separation comes before the purity of moral conduct and that's what sanctification really is sanctification doesn't say doesn't mean that you first look for a way to to keep yourself pure and then god will separate you no sanctification means you yield yourself to be separated to god in that separation god will purify you in that process all right but this is where i'm going to that god's and and this is the next point here that god's primary way of setting us apart is through his word god's primary way of sanctifying us setting us aside keeping us separate from the world is through his word remember jesus christ said in verse 16 that they are not of the world even as i am not of the world so he was saying that these people the disciples or, or by extension we believers we are not of this world we are not of the systems of this world okay and how does god set us apart from the systems of this world he does that through his word through the written word of god through the scriptures okay that is god's primary way of sanctifying us primary way of setting us apart and setting us aside before i proceed further let me introduce another scripture that will give you um that would support what i'm explaining let us turn to ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 um verse 25 to 26 ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 to 26 all right it says husbands love your wives husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it I want you to note the order. The order here is sanctify first and then cleanse it. Meaning the separation, which is what I just explained, setting aside precedes the purification or, or the, the purity of moral conduct, like I, I, I termed it, all right? So it says that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So we still see here again that the word is God's primary way of sanctifying us. So how does God, or why does God use the word, word to sanctify us, all right? What really is the rationale behind using the word, using his words to set us apart? Because think about this, that um, before you were born again, right? And now that you were born again, if we, if we consider your physical outlook, you are still the same. If you were a lady before you got born again, you'll still be a lady after you got born again. If you, if you were dark in complexion like me, before you got born again, you still be dark after you got born again. If you if you had bald head before you got born again, you might still have that bald head, except God does a miracle, right? Which is will be an act of his sovereignty. But you still be bald after you you've been born again. If you were five feet three inches before you got born again, you still be five feet three inches after you got born again. So there's nothing physically that changes. So if you if someone was going to look at you, how would they tell that you're born again? Because your looks wouldn't necessarily change. You'll still be the same complexion and all of that. You know, so how would they tell that you are born again? How does God separate you that, that is born again from every other person in the world? All right. So to answer that question, let us read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. 
And this shows us the power of God's word, the importance of God's word in the life of the believer. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to verse 2. I read and it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse two is my emphasis. And be not conformed to this world. When the Bible says world here, it's not referring to the geographic um, features of the world in terms of the mountains, trees, um, you know, and all of that. He's referring to the system of the world, the system that governs the way people act, the way people live, the way people value things, the way people prioritize. He's saying, don't be conformed to that system but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, all right? Um, That you may be able to prove, right? The word prove here means descend. And we're going to come back to this descendment uh, matter um, in in a moment, right? But the the word they prove here means descend. That you may be able to discern what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. So God separates us by transforming our minds with his word, by causing a transformation of our hearts, all right, by renewing us through the word of God, okay? Um, The Bible talks about, um, in the book of James, I just want to make a detour to to support this scripture. Where is that? This should be in James chapter 1. James chapter chapter one. Okay, so the scripture is not coming to me right now, and I don't want to waste time. But basically, basically talks about how that the word of God is what really renews and transforms us. Okay, so that's how God causes. That's how God separates us. He separates us by His word. He separates us. I, I said here that His word re-engineers the way we think, the way we live, and the way we approach situation situations, all right? So he does something to the way we think, to the way we live out our lives. And this, again, is the primary difference between a soldier and a civilian. Remember that we're looking at the word of God in context of a battle experience, right? And if you, for instance, if you if you go to a shopping mall and you see two people, how do you differentiate that one is a military person and, and the other is a civilian? If they are both wearing um, non-military wear. If the if the military person is in like his military uniform, you can tell. You can easily just point out. But when there's he's not wearing his military uniform, how else do you differentiate that the believe that this person is a military um, person? You do that by the way they think. The way military people think is very different from the way um, civilians think. All right. For instance, the military people, um, if they are in a in a crowded space. Their, their, their discernment, their senses just go up that this could be a setup for, you know, chaos or riot or something like that. If it's a civilian might just go to a party and be dancing all around, but a military person begins to pick certain signals because they are wired to think that way. They are wired to, to evaluate risk and um, opportunities and all of that, okay? That is what the word of God does to us. It changes the way we think and primarily it influences the way we discern things so that we're able to to, um, realize the, you know, attack of the enemy or not. 
Okay, now having said this, I want to go to some further thoughts. Oh, thank you very much. James chapter one, verse 21. Um, thank you, Esosa, for dropping that. So James chapter one, verse 21 was the scripture I was looking for. Yes, it says, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Thank you very much for that scripture. So the engrafted word is, word is able to save our souls. The salvation of the soul here is the renewal of the mind. And that happens as a process. Okay. Yeah. So that's the scripture. James chapter one, verse 21. All right. Thank you for that. So finally, right on this, how does the word of God, you know, I have explained to us that the word of God sharpens our discernment, right? And let me explain further what that means. Remember that we put on the armor of God to stand against the schemes or the wiles or the strategy or the methods of the enemy. We agreed that at the beginning, that for the most part, the enemy's attack comes as deception or comes in a method. And when we started this study, we, we looked at Eve, um, um, Eve's temptation and how the enemy, you know, lured her into disobeying God. And we also looked at the temptation of Jesus, and we saw how Jesus Christ overcame the devil's temptation. And you see in both instances that the devil did not exercise power in terms of brute force. <clears throat> no, he came in a deceptive manner. He came with a conversation. He came trying to engage them. And in both situations, the solution was the word of God. Only unfortunately that Eve did not uphold the word of God. But thankfully for us, Jesus Christ resisted the devil with the word of God. So remember that the, the enemy comes with that strategy, with that schemes and, and, and method to deceive us. So the first way, step to standing against the strategies of the enemy is to recognize them in the first place. You cannot, <clears throat> excuse me, you cannot, um, you cannot stand against a strategy that you have not even recognized is a strategy, okay? If, if an enemy, you know, if, if, if a military enemy, for instance, is trying to employ intelligence and do a covert operation against another country, the only way the country can stop that, that enemy is if they recognize that there's actually a covert operation going on. So you cannot defeat what you don't recognize. That's what I'm trying to say. You cannot defeat what you don't recognize. And this is why the word of God is super important because the knowledge of God's word sharpens our discernment of the enemy's plot. The knowledge of God's word sharpens our discernment of the enemy's methods and schemes and what he's really plotting. And I want us to compare, you know, just, I would have loved your feedback now, but we are fast running out of time. But let's do this together. Compare the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden to the temptation of Jesus Christ um, after he fasted. And why am I using these two examples? Because these two examples are very, very, were very pivotal to the history of humanity. Number one is that we lost our authority in the Garden of Eden when Eve yielded to the temptation of the devil and invited her husband, Adam, to do so. But then also Jesus Christ came to restore back what we lost and even more. And however, the enemy was, the enemy tried to, to truncate or to stop that process from the beginning. And we see that in the temptation um, after he fasted, right? And so that's why I'm using these two examples. So let's look at Eve's temptation. The enemy came and said to Eve, 
um, did God really say, you know, let, let's read that, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we'll just read this quickly and we'll wrap up, we'll sum it up with one critical statement. All right, Genesis chapter 3, verse, <clears throat> verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord has made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? That was the beginning of the conversation. And we know the story that Eve said, Ah, oh, you know, well, God really didn't say. He just said we should not eat of this one. And the enemy came in and said, Let me tell you, uh, God is hiding something for you. If you eat of this, your eyes will open, you become like God. And Eve didn't have the word of God to resist the, resist the devil. I am of the opinion, and this is just me, I'm of the opinion that if the enemy had come to Adam, that the enemy might not have succeeded. Reason being that the God first of all spoke the word to Adam, and it might have been more concrete in Adam's heart, you know, than Eve. Eve received the word, probably heard about it from Adam, you know, but this is just my own, um, my own you know, conclusion. But either ways, Eve did not recognize the deception of the enemy, and so she fell for it. But Jesus Christ, on the other hand, when the devil came and said, said, ah, Jesus, look at you now. Matthew chapter 4, you know, verse 1 has the account. You've been fasting for the past 40 days. Are you not hungry? You know, the journey from the desert to the city is, is so long ago, you might just faint. Let me tell you what to do. Just if, if you are really the son of God, there are enough stones here. Turn the stone to bread. You don't need to wait for anything. Turn this stone to bread if you are the son of God. And Jesus Christ was intelligent in scripture enough to discern that this was a temptation of, of, of this was a trick of the devil, all right? And he responded from scriptures. And let me say this, that when you look at the temptation of Jesus Christ, or um, the temptation, temptation of the devil, right, against Jesus Christ, he came up saying, if you are the son of God, do this. And why was that his approach? Because just some verses earlier in the previous chapter, God had already publicly declared at the baptism of John that this is my beloved son, son in whom I am well pleased. So the enemy came outrightly to question the word of God in Jesus's life, which was exactly what he did with, um, with Eve. He came to directly question what God said to Eve. And this is how the enemy will operate. This is his method. But if you don't know the skin, if you don't know the word of God, you'll not be able to discern the schemes of the devil. Reason again is because in challenging the word of God, the enemy will still quote scripture to challenge the word of God. And how do I know this? The next temptation was that he took Jesus Christ to a high mountain and, say, and said to him, Jesus, jump down. For having, don't, don't the Bible say that he'll give his angels charge over you? And that is actually correct. In Psalm 91, the Bible says that he will give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your feet against a stone. And if Jesus was not intelligent in scriptures, he might not have discerned that this was a, a scheme of the enemy. It was a, a trick of the enemy, even though the enemy quoted scriptures. But thankfully, Jesus Christ was intelligent in scriptures and answered that. So what I'm saying is, you need to know the word of God to be able to discern the scripture, to be able to discern rather the schemes of the devil. Without the knowledge of God's word, you will not be able to recognize the tricks of the devil and counter it. 
So the word of God is super important to our experience. And I employ us this year, please be a student of God's word, right? Be a, a, a diligent student of God's word. Read it and read it thoroughly till you, you live your life on your subconsciously, you are living out the word of God in your life, okay? So in conclusion, this is what I say. That the basic requirement for discernment is the knowledge of God's written word. Now, I know that it's very exciting when people come and share Rema, people come and share deep mysteries and share deep things. I'm saying before you go deep, get the word of God. Know, the, know what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says. Know the stories in, written in scriptures. Know the accounts of the gospel. Know the epistles, the letters written by the apostles. Know the, 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 the um, accounts of the, um, of the prophet. Just know the word of God. Consume it in your soul, okay? Last scripture I will read before we, um, as we conclude. Ro not Romans, Hebrews, sorry. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. A very popular passage of scripture. Um, Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. I will read that quickly as we wrap up. All right, so Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick. The word here quick means alive. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God, the Bible says, is, is a discerner. The word of God can discern. The word of God has a discerning um, operation in, embedded inside of it. Verse 13, which is my emphasis, it says, neither, that means neither is there any creature. So in addition to this, it says that there is also no creature that is not manifest in his sight. His sight here is referring still to the word of God, okay? But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, if you read the scripture like this, it's not very clear, all right? But if you look at the look at it from a linguistic perspective, right? You will see that in the Greek, the word, the compound word that English translates with whom we have to do, that word, it, the compound word is translated as logos in the Greek. And like we said earlier, logos here refers to the summation of scriptures, okay? So we can read this verse 13 like this, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of the logos or before the eyes of the logos, before the eyes of the word of God. And, and please, by all means, you can go back to, to do your study and find and you know cross-check that what I'm saying is correct. But what this thought already suggests to us is that everything is exposed before the word of God. That means there's nothing there's no trick the enemy wants to employ that the word of God has not already captured. There's nothing you are going through and the attendant temptation in that season that the word of God has not captured. The temptation of the person that doesn't have money, the word of God has written about it. The temptation of the person that has just enough money, the word of God has written about it. The temptation of the person that has too much money, the word of God has written about it. The temptation for the single brother, or sister, the word of God has written about it. The temptation for the married one, he has written about, see, there is nothing that is the word of God doesn't address. The Bible says everything are exposed. They are, laid, they are laid bare, they are naked, they are open before the eyes of the word. So the more you know the word, the sharper your discernment and your ability to recognize the tricks of the enemy and you know bring out solutions or, 
or address whatever you know approach the devil may come from all right okay so let us stop here and i want to repeat this thing the basic requirement for the for discernment is the knowledge of the written word what this means again is that even if for instance you don't have the gift of discernment or you are not you know very you don't have spiritual encounters like others but you know the bible you know this bible you, you understand the word of god i assure you it will be difficult for the devil to deceive you because that is a foundation for every every for the for um, every discernment rather it serves as the basis for discernment okay so never forget the basic requirement for discernment is the knowledge of god's written word hallelujah all right praise jesus so i hope this was helpful um i hope this you know stirred up something in your heart to become diligent with re reading god's word and studying god's word and you know especially for people for those of us that teach there's a temptation to only read the bible because you want to teach or you want to minister or preach to someone that is a different you know um, a different case entirely read the bible for your own personal consumption okay all right thank you very much everyone so this is where we take questions um this is the point where we take questions and um you know we take feedback whether questions or feedback or comments uh something you learned you know so please go ahead and share with us share with us your your feedback i mean first of all if you have any question please feel free to ask the question if there is no question you feel free to you know add a comment you know a thought dropped in your heart while we're sharing or you had an experience that you want to share with us or something that you know bless your heart in today's teaching that you want to share for everybody as by way of emphasis so the floor is open on um, mixer please go ahead and type in your comments um i see either that you said i should repeat the last statement so i'm not sure which statement that is but if you can type what the statement was about then i will be able to repeat that okay while we're doing that um so i see your hand up please go ahead can unmute yourself and speak yeah thanks victor um this was a powerful session um and many many things were strengthening me um i just want to add as a sort of that you know um the word of god um sometimes can be a mystery right and there are things we can do to accelerate our um uh, our ability to see what god is saying through the word mm -hmm. for example heart posture is key you know reveal these things to babes and hidden them from the wise, wise and intelligent mm -hmm. um so our heart posture as we come to the word um is key but what i want to really talk what i really want to add was you know um sometimes young believers get frustrated when they try to go straight to the bible right because mm. they're reading stuff and they don't get and that's why god has put up platforms like you know like borderless like what you're doing here you know what we are doing here is to be able to give young believers a good foundation that can be built upon by the time they go directly to the world yeah. so peter says it like this as newborn babes desire sincere milk so milk is basically meat that has been processed by the mother right mm. breast milk aha so there are times where messages may be good foundation books you know they are all still the word of god um, and as you grow you begin to now desire you move from milk which is breast milk which is food processed by another to strong meat which is food you cook by yourself so um i hope that helps 
Yes. Thanks thank a lot, Victor. Thank you very much. Um, I love the way you put it. Um, you move from milk, which is food processed by others, into meat, which is food you cook, food you cook by yourself. And that is very profound because it captures the whole thought of um, you know, people sometimes and it happens a lot, like you read the Bible and you don't understand it. But when you hear someone else say preach on that scripture, your understanding is open, and the next time you go, that serves as a basis to build upon and you know dig deeper for yourself, which is exactly what the Berean Church did. So thank you very much for capturing that precisely. All right, God bless you. Okay, one more person wants to share. Um, either I see on the mixer that I repeated what you wanted already. Okay, thank you. And thank God I did that. Um, all right. So any other comments for us? Any question? What did you learn today that you're going back with um, just before we go? Any final thoughts? Okay. So I'm assuming nobody. Um, all right. So if there's no one, then we can let me say a word of prayer <clears throat> before I hand over to Faith to wrap up for us. All right. So let's pray um, today. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We indeed count it a privilege to, to study your word and to have insight and understanding. We thank you for teaching us yourself. We thank you for the impartation of your spirit. Jesus, we are grateful. We ask, Father, that um, based on the word we receive, let your grace be at work in us, propelling us to learn your word, study your word, and be diligent in, in consuming your word for our lives so that when the enemy surfaces, we are not ignorant of his schemes and devices, and we have the appropriate response whichever way he comes in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, um, Faith, over to you to help us wrap up. Are you there, Faith? You're muted. Okay, um, so just two things before we go. Anyone joining us for the very first time, please, we'd love to meet with you. Um, so if this is your first time joining us, please um, just let us know where you're joining us from and who invited you. On Mixer you can drop in your comments to that, and then on Zoom, just you can speak up. Anyone like that? Also, so while we're waiting for that, also we're continuing this series next week. So same time, same, same link, you know, same, same Holy Spirit. Um, and I really want to encourage us to please invite someone when you when you come in next week. Um, if there's someone already that is a part of our community, you can just send them a reminder and say, hey, don't forget Bible study on Tuesday and all of that. Um, by grace of God, within the course of the week, we'll send out some um, what we call promotional material so you can invite other people in whatever groups you belong to <clears throat> and share online. Okay, so please, I encourage us to do that. And then, yeah, so that's it. Okay, so thank you everyone for joining us. God bless you. Have a wonderful week ahead. Um, as always, this will be uploaded on our podcast by the grace of God tomorrow morning latest. So it should be available for us to listen again and also share with those that aren't here. All right, so thank you everyone. God bless you for joining us. Have a wonderful 
um, rest of your remaining part of your day. God bless you. Bye. Good night, Victor. Good night.